Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, 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 everyone. It is Wednesday night and it is time for Friends and Fiction. We have an incredible night ahead of us for all of you out there. Our second to last show of the summer season before we take a two week break. So let's get rolling. I'm Kristen Harmel. I'm Mary Kay Andrews. I'm Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Meg Walker. And Christy's waving. Christy I don't think she's going to hear us. Oh, no. What the heck happened? That's so strange. I don't know. Christy, try your, um, without her try, try your settings. That's, I, I wonder what happened, how you suddenly lost oh. it. Oh, that's oh. really weird. Okay. When Christy comes back, though, we have something to celebrate. So we are excited to do that. But maybe while we wait for her, um, we can jump ahead to Patty, you telling us about bookshop. Org. Oh, and this is Friends in Fiction, four New York oh, Times selling yes. authors, <laughs> endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians. Tonight, we'll be welcoming Stephen Rowley, Rowley, the author of The Celebrants, and Lisa Steinke and Liz Fenton, who co-authored Forever Hold Your Peace. All right, Christy, can you hear us now? Yes, I can hear you. I'm okay, so sorry. Oh, sorry. I couldn't hear you. No, you're just keeping it exciting. We like that. All right. Yeah, now that we have Christy and now that she can hear us, you know, Christy has to hop off in a minute to go to an event, but we have a very important announcement to make. And we wanted to make sure that Meg was here for it too. So uh, Kathy, do you want to clue us into what's going on? I certainly do. I mean, we're all, we're smiling ear to ear because <laughs> we just learned that with all y'all's help, Christie's The Summer of Songbird just debuted at number 13 on the New York Times bestseller list. My gosh, you guys, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so grateful for the four of you on this screen here. We're unbelievable. You've like supported this book like it was your own. And everybody out there, this Friends and Fiction community is the best in the world. Every event that I have been to, Every post, every review, every, I mean, you guys just show up and show up and show up and show up. And it has been amazing and so just heartwarming and gratifying to see you at all of these events. And y'all's friendships to us and with each other are just like, they're amazing. So thank you so much for you guys. This is, this is all of our New York Times bestseller, not mine. So oh. thank you for everything you do. I really appreciate it. We're so Happy and so, so excited. Three in a row, you so guys. Proud. Three in a row. I know. That's three right. Right. Fiction three Pete. That's right. <laughs> I'm super thrilled for you. I love you guys. Thank you. And we can't love wait you. to see everybody in Tampa tomorrow. tomorrow. I can't wait to give you a big hug. Yeah. <laughs> and pop champagne with you instead of without you alone in our offices. That's well, always. but I like that you guys took one for the team for me and did that even without me being there. It was <laughs> yeah. really special. It was really a hard I mean, we do yeah. what we have to do. I know, yeah. I know. 
It means a lot. So sorry, I'm going to miss it, but I'll see y'all tomorrow. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. Have a good show. We love you. Okay, y'all. That is so awesome. I feel so giddy, right? Just feel so giddy about the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. So we are all so tremendously grateful to all of you out there who have supported us and our book launches this year. It means the world. And of course, you know that underlying everything is our mission to help support independent booksellers. One way that you can help us do that is to buy from them when and where you can or to visit our own friendsandfictionbookshop.org, uh-huh, that one, <laughs> bookshop.org page, where you will find Stephen's books and Liz and Lisa's books and books by the four of us and all of our guests at a discount. And speaking of amazing books, don't forget to join the Friends and Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa, which just hit 19,000 members. Good for them. That's awesome. Yeah. I know. Next Tuesday, July 25th, live at 6 p.m., they'll be throwing a third anniversary party over on their Facebook page, and you won't want to miss that. So be sure to join them on August, and be sure to join them on August 17th for Happy Hour with Ron Block and a special guest at 7.30. If you missed Kristen's chat with them this past Monday about the Paris daughter, watch the recording anytime on the book club's Facebook page. I had such a great time with them. It was such a good chat. They brought Anissa on. They brought Marlene on. It was absolutely fantastic. So make sure to join us next week, next uh, Tuesday for that. And without further ado now, let's welcome Stephen Rowley. Stephen Rowley is the New York Times bestselling author of several books. And I have to say a Friends and Fiction page fan favorite. It's Stephen Rowley, Stephen Rowley, Stephen Rowley. But his books include Lily and the Octopus and The Gunkle. His novel, The Editor, was named by NPR as one of the best books of 2019. And The Gunkle was a Goodreads Choice Awards finalist for 2021 Novel of the Year. And the winner of the Thurber Prize for American Humor. Stevens Fiction has been published in 20 languages. All of his books are in development for feature film or television adaptation. Originally from Portland, Maine, Stephen is a graduate of Emerson College, and he currently resides in Palm resides in Palm Springs with his husband, the writer Byron Lane, who also just had a novel out. Yeah, and two rescue dogs. Stephen's new novel, The Celebrants, was released earlier this summer, and actually, I believe on the same day as his husband's book. Right? We'll have to talk to him about that. And was selected as June's Today Show Read with Jenna Book Club pick, which is fabulous. Sean, can you bring Stephen on? Hi, Hi Stephen. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. This is so much fun. Oh, we are so happy to have you. So we'd love to have a little chat with guests before we dive into talking about the books. So I would love to toss the conversation over to Patty, who had a great question in mind for all of us. So Stephen, I love this book. And it got me thinking about having a live funeral. So when I read your novel about a group of friends, who throw each other what you call living funerals, saying what they want to say while they're alive and together. It made me think about Huck Finn and how mm -hmm. he faked his own death. <laughs> yes. so he could listen in on his funeral. Or Becky Thatcher. Or Becky Thatcher was mourning him and then he thought, so there is something primal about wanting to know what our loved ones think of us and say about us when we aren't around. And I'm wondering 
made me think, do I really want to hear it? Would I want to hear it? Would I want a living funeral? Um, for me, I think I'd want to know what my kids would say about me. Ooh, yeah. For some reason, that was the thing that, it, it, you know, yours is about friends, but I thought I would love to hear what they would say about me, but I'm, I'm not sure I'd want a living funeral. How about you, Mary Kay? Would you? Well, only if I can write my own eulogy. That's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> a writer for you, yeah. With inappropriate jokes, but that, yeah, then I'm in. But um, I, you know, um, I have mixed feelings about unless I can control unless I can control everything and executive producer. I don't know that I'm interested. <laughs> Stephen, how about you? Yeah, I don't, you know, my stock answer is that writers are observers and I don't know um, if I would be comfortable being the center of attention in that way. I certainly would like to attend one. I would like to see what it's like. Um, but then I, you know, I said this on the Today Show too. I was like, you know what, if we're going to do it, let's go for a full on roast, you know? Like, <laughs> oh that's gosh, what, that's, that's hilarious. Just, just rake me over the coals and uh, let's see if I can handle it. <laughs> oh God, oh, I, I think just that. living on our tech string is like living in a roast. So I don't know. <laughs> that is actually true. You know, um, I feel like to me, I was thinking about this earlier um, and, and I think in a way, Every time we have to update our bios and write like a longer, fuller bio, we're almost writing our own eulogies, right? <laughs> it's just they print them on the back of a book cover or read it before you walk onto stage. So I kind of feel like it would be some version of that. But beyond that, I don't even think I can, I don't think I can go there in my head. I'm not good at thinking about death. That is just yeah, not, not my thing. But okay, Stephen, let's dive into this great book. So it was an instant New York Times bestseller, much like our Christie tonight. I know. Congratulations was, to yes, Christie. Can I just say so real fast, though? I mean, yeah. how joyous for her to be able to come in and celebrate with you all. When I found out I was on tour and I was in Louisville, Kentucky, which okay. uh, was a great town. I'd never been. But I didn't know people there to really celebrate with. So I said, you know what? I'm going to have to have some bourbon. I need some bourbon. I'm yeah. in Kentucky. This is how you have to celebrate. I'm not a big bourbon drinker. But anyway, the, the event was fantastic. There were like 150 people there. It was so, the people were so extraordinary. But after, by the time it was done and the signing line got through, the, it was an early kind of town. Uh, yeah. So the only place I could still find that was open and serving uh, food was a TGI Friday. <laughs> so oh, no! I went to TGI Fridays and had bourbon by myself at the bar. Oh my God. As one does. As one does. I was like, that's the glamour of book tour right there. That's so oh. true. Oh, yeah. even better would have been Applebee's. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So yay for Christy. Got to celebrate with friends. We are so happy for her. We we, we really are. And it's um it's funny, Stephen. Um we talk about this sometimes in the show, but the four of us, I think, root I, I mean, we are as invested in each other's careers as we are mm -hmm. in our own. So I think all week it has felt like, I mean, now Christy's actually been doing the hard work of being out there and touring it. <laughs> like We've all been at nervously counting the numbers yeah. and thinking about it. And so we all, I think, feel, you know, very happy and very relieved tonight, which is great. So Stephen, The Celebrants is a novel about a group of friends who reunite over the years in Big Sur to honor a decades old pack to throw e pact to throw each other living funerals and remind themselves that life is worth living. This reunion is different. So Stephen, that is merely the plot and the setup. This book is about so much more than that. Can you tell us 
a little bit about the celebrants and then what you think the book is really about. Sure. Uh, so I was inspired very early on in the pandemic when we were all sheltering at home and looking for comfort viewing, you know, scrolling through Netflix, et cetera. I stumbled upon The Big Chill. Does anybody remember, remember yeah. that movie? So, you know, about a group of college friends in middle age who sort of come back together uh, upon the death of one of their own. And it's all about the stresses of middle age and middle age ennui and what the back half of our lives are gonna look like. And I'm watching this movie and every character in it is 35 years old. And I was like, <laughs> oh no. And as someone who was facing my 50th birthday that year, I said, this is not comforting to me. You know, this is not comforting at all. Uh, so, but it did get me thinking about, um, all the ways uh, which life has changed sort of in 40 years and what we think of as middle age. You know, the title, The Big Jill itself, referred to um, this, this sort of long stretch of time, like after you were married and you had your kids and you owned a home, which is something people used to be able to do. And, uh, you know, and not a lot changed. You worked probably one job until collecting a pension and retirement. And, and in that stretch in the middle, until your kids grew up and left, you know, not a lot changed. But now it got me thinking about how much more volatile life can feel. You know, we have a lot of people have more than one marriage or a blended family. Uh, we certainly have more than one job or uh, career. We don't work for one company anymore. Um, and there's lots of room for reinvention. And I thought that that's where the great stories uh, kind of lie is in this in this middle stretch that we used to think of as a sleepy period. Ooh, that's a good point. I like that. Like that. That yeah. Um, and then I was coupled with the fact that I also lost uh, one of my best friends uh, from college to breast cancer, and um, around Sorry. that time, and there was uh, there is something about losing a contemporary. I think you know for the first time that yeah. that forces you to to sort of face your own mortality in a in in a way. And yeah. there's been so much so much loss, and I know we here among yeah. us have have had personal losses too, but even for people who haven't lost someone over the past couple of years, we've lost time, you know, certainly, yeah. and we've lost the ability to be together. Um, and I think there's gonna be a lot of conversation amongst writers, particularly and artists, uh, how we're gonna address this the past few years. And I do think we need to address some of this because we're, you know, America's not a great country about dealing with grief and, and grieving. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to write about that. But the idea that this novel, about friends who come together to celebrate one another, one another and don't wait to tell each other what yeah. they mean uh, until it's too late. You know, that's absolutely a reaction to, I think, the past few years we've been through. Yeah, absolutely. Trying to even, we're, we're only a little bit out. Um, so we're definitely not hindsight is 2020. Mm -hmm. But even just looking back a little bit, it's still way too fuzzy to understand. Yeah. Like I still feel like we're just not there yet in understanding the grief, the loss, the confusion, how we've changed, how the country's changed. Um, and you have that great line. I, I think I heard you say it in another interview where you said that you really, and it's in the book too, um, that the funerals are for the living. And yeah. that was part of what inspired this. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I was in uh, Italy when my when my friend passed away, and I was like, okay, do I cut short my trip? Do I do I rush back? And you know, all of our friends who were there just kept reminding me that you know, well, funerals are for the living was something that was said over and over again. She wasn't going to care if I was there or not. Yeah. You know, it was really about comforting the rest of us who who were, and they assured me, no, we have it. You know, there's going to be plenty of us there. We have it under control. They were more concerned for me you know, yeah. sort of being out there uh, on my own. But um, so, but that was a phrase that stuck in my head, funerals are for the living. And that, you know, sort of writers do then, we sort of uh, upend that and explore it a little bit. And so here, here I have a literal uh, interpretation of that. Um, but, you know, even though I say the book is inspired by COVID, I, or, you know, certainly the, you know, what the past couple of years and everything we've been through. Um, I conveniently skipped the years, you know, 2019 <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. to 2022. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not ready to relive those yeah. uh, so directly. Um, in fact, was it Elizabeth uh, Strout, who was one of my favorite uh, writers in her Lucy by the Lucy by the Sea. Her book was almost a TikTok of like minute it by minute, was. 2020, reliving yeah. 2020. And I started reading and I'm like, I can't, I'm not, I'm not yeah, ready for this. Not ready. I'm not prepared for this. But we can sort of like talk about some of the issues without revisiting it so directly. Looking so at true. it kind of side eye, like just out of Yeah, yeah. Because you're right. We don't, we don't have enough distance, I think, to really fully understand it. But I think we do need to start processing it. I agree. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about the friends in this novel. So the celebrants introduces us to a tight knit group of friends who meet in college. Um, I have them. They're still my, you know, some of my dearest friends in the world. I just spent some time with one of them and we we're looking through old letters and photographs and you see that person you used to be. That's still the person you are. But in then in your novel, it jumps to the future where these bonds are still just as strong. It is about people who knew us before, knew the real us. So what is it about bonds and youth that are so enduring? And do you have a group like this that you fed back on? I do. And, and hearing you say that now, I'm so grateful that we have, uh, you know, printed letters and printed photographs. Oh gosh, and I, I think about like all the things that, you know, all our electronic communication, which we're not going to be able to sort of archive in the same way, or, um, you know, photos are you know, all digital and they're on a phone or they're on Instagram, but they're otherwise can be fleeting. I worry about, uh, you know, sort of what we're going to leave behind. Um, but yeah, I do have this, this group of friends and it is, I think there is something about these longstanding friendships. It's so important. As you said, the ones who knew you when yeah. sort of before, when you were all hopes and dreams and the future was sort of untold and also sort of know you and love you now that a lot of the pieces of your life are locked into place. And sometimes, you know, those, sometimes there's slightly different versions of yourself, mm -hmm. but those friends can be a bridge to sort of um, reconciling those, those two different versions, I think. And so, um, and the unique thing about college friends and what was fun in crafting these um, friendships is that sometimes, you know, in college, you're at the whim of a housing algorithm or, you know, who's in your dormitory or who's in a, a sorority or a fraternity or who's, uh, you know, who you might have a class with. It's a lot of it is very random and you're meeting people who are different from you um, sometimes for the first time. And so I think that's why those, those friendships are so kind of enduring. They're sort of opening your eyes to a, a larger, wider world. So my roommate was assigned to me because I went to a university where I didn't know anyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she is still one of my dearest friends in the world. And we were talking about this the other day and I brought up your book and how fun it would be to do that with all of us. And um, 
just the people who knew you then. And I just said, we didn't even know how lucky we were. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You just form these bonds and you assume it's, it's normal. And we just didn't know how we know how now for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And here I am, you know, 30 years out from my college graduation, I would never have imagined, you know, it would have been impossible, you know, when you're that young to look that far in the future and assume that we're, and the fun thing is, you know, in all the ways which, you know, the, the opening page of the book is inspired by something in, re, in real life, which is the friends are getting together and someone has to put on the reading glasses to read yes. the menu and someone has to turn on the the phone, you know, the flashlight on their phone to read because the lights are too dim. And the music, like, when did the music too become loud? too loud. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> this was, I was watching our group, you know, go through this at a restaurant and I was like, what happened to you people? You know, you got <laughs> old. And then I'm like, oh wait, uh, we're the same. Like we're the same. I just can't see it on myself in the same way. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but I had this just like overwhelming, just feeling of love, this like rush of love for yes. all of them um, because we have stuck together and, and survived a lot. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm down in Tampa. I grew up in St. Pete across the mm -hmm. Bay and um, we're going to have our, our big launch for Christie tomorrow night in Tampa. Then my husband and I are going over to St. Pete and we're going to hang with my junior high girls. Wow. Wow. I love that. We've been wow, friends. That's amazing. Yeah. We've been friends since seventh grade. Wow. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. let's talk about, let's talk about the celebrants. You know, Stephen, I am a house person. <laughs> and when you started writing about that house in Big Sur, OMG, I <laughs> wanted to move in. And I felt like the story was so enriched by the clifftop feeling, the unconnected feeling of what they were celebrating or rather addressing death. So talk to us specifically about that house in Big Sur and where where can I get there? How can I get there? <laughs> <laughs> right? And this wonderful cover, which I love, you can sort of see yeah. it over my, yeah. over my shoulder. You know, I wanted it to feel kind of aspirational. I wanted people to think like, oh, I want to be on that balcony with that group. You know, I mean, that's the joy of writing a book like this is creating this friendship group and then having the, sort of inviting the reader to be the sixth, you know, member of that group in a yeah. way. So, you know, uh, it's fun to have them, you know, have inside jokes, but in a way, you know, but write them in a way that doesn't exclude the reader. So they feel a part of it too. And and the house sort of very much plays into that. I wanted people to feel like, oh, I want, I want to go there. Um, and there are a couple other destinations in, in the book too, but it all feels, you know, it is a summer book and, and we've been talking about some heavy issues, but hopefully it's also a lot of fun because, you know, here's the real secret of every time you write about death and dying, you're really writing about living. Right. And in this yeah. case, celebrating. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted I wanted uh, that to feel like I want to be a part of that. And the house was the house was a big part of it. And it's just sort of, you know, dream. You know, I don't know uh, when you when you create a, a house for, you know, for, or something like for the homewreckers or something, too, where the house becomes, you know, kind of like a character, character. Uh, in it. It's so much fun to sort of create that place. A struggle. I was, was going to say how much to include, uh, but, and then because I'll go into like great paragraphs, and I'm like, oh, I've really slowed down the narrative here because I'm obsessed mm. with the house. You know, <laughs> kind of looks like a Palm Springs house, though a little bit, a little bit, yeah, Modernist, a little bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it just like we instead of a swimming pool there, you've got the uh, cliff and the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
So, you know, you narrated the audio book. Talk to mm -hmm. us about that. Have you narrated your other audio books? I did narrate The Gunkle. Um, I had a wonderful actor, Michael Yuri, uh, narrate my first two audio books. And went, there was something about The Gunkle, my previous novel, where I thought I had enough in common with the character. I thought, oh, this might be fun to try. But um, my publisher wasn't necessarily convinced. I had to audition. Um, and then wow. even when I got the go ahead, I know, isn't that funny? I took yeah. send in tape yeah, of me reading my it. own book. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, but listen, like it's a different skill set. I get it. Like we, we all know writers who probably would not a good idea that they, they try it, but there was enough of a high school theater kid in me still. And, uh, I thought I want to try. And then I bragged to a friend cause I said, uh, you know, this was in 2020. I was like, I'm going to narrate my, my audio book. And he turned to me and said, you put an actor out of work during a pandemic. <laughs> I thought, oh no, poor Michael Yuri. But he's on a TV show now with Harrison Ford. So I think it's fine. He'll be he's okay. doing okay. He'll, he'll, yeah. He's doing okay. We won't worry too much he'll about He'll survive. Him. Yeah. But, you know, and this one, I, you know, I guess the sort of this time the opposite happened. The publisher sort of assumed that I was going to do it. And I don't know that I always will, but um, I was I was sort of happy to do it, to try it one more time. The interesting thing, though, is they rent me a, a recording, a professional recording studio here in Palm Springs, where I live. And if you've read The Gonko or if you've been to Palm Springs, you know that Palm Springs is hot. Right. And the yeah. first thing they have to do is turn off the air conditioning and the recording in the oh, booth and the sound because you can hear the whir of, you know, the microphone picks it up. And so, <laughs> my goodness, I'm in there kind of, you know, the audio gone. engineer was sitting on the other side of a window where it is air conditioned. He was looking in at me and I was reading the celebrants. He goes, Oh, look at you. You're crying at your own book. I'm like, I'm not crying. I'm sweating. <laughs> <You know? laughs> By the time I got to the end, I was probably also crying, <laughs> but I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I, um, I only recorded my author note uh, in the secret book of Flora Lee and they mm. did the same thing and I'm sweating and they're making me say things over and over. And I'm like, I will never narrate my own book. So good on you. Stephen. It's so that's funny. Amazing. And if, if anyone is watching and just like that, the new, the new iteration of sex in the city, yes, Carrie yes. just narrated her own yes! audio book <laughs> <laughs> the whole episode around it. And I felt for her. I felt for her. And there's sometimes, you know, where the narrator gets in a fight with the writer, like the writer in me, I'm like, oh, who wrote this garbage? It's impossible. Yes. It's impossible yes, I do what you mean. Yeah. I, I've yeah. experienced that even with reading my author's note. I'm like, why would I say, why would I put yeah, it why that would way? I, say, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I will I say it's that. changed my writing process in that I will never, ever not read my work aloud. Yes, uh, even if it's so just true. quietly to myself or to the dogs, you know, <laughs> like, uh, or to my husband, I live with another writer. So uh, it's always going to be part of my process. Yeah. And I always find something if I read out loud. Always. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you do. Yeah. Every For me, it's time. it's repetition often. That, that's what I that's what I tend to pick up. Yeah, I, you I, find your I favorite really, terms yeah, you find easier. Yes, exactly. Way, yeah. Yep, that yep. word. That word that you say. Yes. That word just. OMG. <laughs> 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 Does it sneak in there, Kathy? Like you sprinkled yeah. it with a salt shaker? Oh, not even a salt shaker. It's like I dumped it in there. <laughs> <laughs> she comes with that pepper grinder that's three feet long and fancy. Right? You know, tell me when. Exactly. Tell me just. Exactly. No, <laughs> just when. Yeah. Commas, just are when. In, <laughs> commas are what I put in the salt shaker, but just <laughs> is what oh, I just dumped in there. Uh, <laughs> All right, Stephen, I want to ask this. With a book about death and love and friendship, 
And for me, essentially, it's about being who we're meant to be. Um, and the struggle to get there, right? It's a struggle to get there. Is there one thing you felt you really want the reader to take away? Oh, goodness. Yeah, I think I think just as you say, it is that we have the constant ability to evolve yes. and grow and we're not locked into versions of who we are. You know, it's not over until it's over and we can still seek and learn and 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 make and make new friends and have new, you know, life experiences. There's there's a skydiving scene uh, in this. If you if you want to go have you have any of you been skydiving Never. <laughs> no. if you no. want to or if anyone listening wants to you should probably go before reading the celebrants but um uh it's uh there, listen there's not a high body count in this book it's it's just very <laughs> it's very funny sequence and that's the, the thing hopefully you know we've been talking about serious things but the book hopefully is also very very funny um because oh, that's what is. friends do when they get together yeah. but i i think this idea that we're not locked into versions of ourselves and it's those who are close uh to us that can that can help guide the way sometimes uh on our on our paths um and so treasure those treasure those closest to you and oh, don't be shy about I telling them that. what they mean Oh, that's a great message. Well, Stephen, before we get to our next guests, um, Liz and Lisa, I wanted to ask you one more thing. And we actually have a question from a uh, someone who's watching tonight, an audience member, Kathy Brewer Johnson, who says, what are the challenges and advantages of being married to another writer? <laughs> I, would, I would like to add to that, though. What was it like to have a book come out the exact same day? Didn't you both? You, you both had the exact we same did. Yeah. Date. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. We're I, like, I'm still worried people are going to get sick of us. So my husband is the author Byron Lane. Uh, are a star is bored, which he wrote for years. He was uh, uh, Carrie Fisher's personal assistant. And that was inspired by their friendship. Um, and his new book that came out this year called Big Gay Wedding uh, is like a, a father of the bride. It's actually mother, except it's mother of the groom, uh, which is great fun as well. And the both books came out on the same day, which uh, wow. I think people assume we planned, but there really is <laughs> no way we could have. We wrote, you know, we have different publishers, different agents. We wrote them at slightly different times. It was just the way the stars aligned. And and we um, just decided to lean into it and have awesome. have fun. You know, what other choice did we have? So um, there was a, a profile of us on the Today Show together. Um, we did got to tour together a little bit, and it was it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, but you know, it's also you know we're a great resource for each other. Hopefully, yeah. um, I think you know. I don't know. You tell me. You know, I, I have writer friends who assume mar being married to another writer would be an absolute nightmare. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, the interesting thing is it can be a very solitary endeavor. And that's why it's good to have friends or a collective like you all yes. have, too, because you have to lean on someone, you know, for the hard parts yeah. of the job and being like, hey, you know, I, I didn't love this first version of the cover. What do you do in a situation like that? Or, do you know, how do you speak up? Or, you know, there's all sorts of questions. And so here we are. We're able to bounce things off one another. And I think, you know, we do read each other's um stuff and and then it's just challenging sort of figuring out which hat i'm wearing at the moment am i reading this as a spouse in which case i'm just going to give uh encouragement did anyone see yeah. that julia louis dreyfus uh movie that's out now I I heard, it's yeah. called you hurt my feelings i want to see it. 
She plays a novelist whose husband, she catches her husband behind her back saying not nice things about her work in progress. Oh my gosh. And it (laughs) destroys her, destroys her. Uh, You know, so I'm offering encouragement or sometimes, you know, you are coming to me as another writer and I will offer um, some gentle (laughs) notes. Uh, We've learned it's not a good idea. Uh, for me to try to punch up jokes like that never goes over well. You know, you'd be like, "Well, I'm I'm an award-winning humorist now." You know, <laughs> that is That's funny. Cool. Yeah, but um, we navigated this best we can. Well, and that sounds wonderful to have someone on tour with you a little bit too. I think that's yeah, such a lonely amazing. time sometimes. Um, as you wind up in a, a, a TGI Fridays in Louisville yeah. all by yourself, but you know, in the middle uh, of yeah. tour. <laughs> sadly, that was sadly that was a leg I was on by my own, but. Um, oh, there was a, there was a nice waiter at TGI Fridays who uh, took care of me at that table. So. Well, fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, Stephen, you have been such an incredible guest tonight. Before we let you go, where can everyone find you online and on tour? Yes. Uh, you know, my, my appearances <laughs> are uh, on my website, stephenrowley.com and I'm social on social media, um, mostly Instagram, Twitter for now. Um, we'll see how long that lasts at, mm. at Mr. Stephen Rowley, MR. Stephen Rowley, not Mrs. Tevin Rowley, who someone asked, like, why is your Instagram Mrs. Tevin Rowley? It's like, that's, <laughs> that's hilarious. Stephen Maybe you can make up a persona for Mrs. Tevin Rowley. I know. Mrs. That, Tevin. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Tevin. Tevin Rowley. <laughs> anyway, I would love to see you there. Give me a follow. I we have a lot. If you like uh, dog pictures and caftan pictures mary kate you got your caftan uh yeah uh and uh and lots of scenery from palm springs give me a follow great Stephen. it was such a pleasure chatting with you tonight thank you so much for being with us i've had so much fun and you're gonna have a great time with liz and lisa too i'm excited thank you so much Stephen. cheers be well love thanks you too all right we are so excited to get to lisa and liz but first a few quick messages from us so we want to remind you that next week's episode with Ellen Hildebrand, in case you haven't heard of her, she has a new book out. It's called Five Star Weekend. Um, so a fan favorite on our page and everywhere else in the country. Ellen will be our summer season finale. Then we'll be off for two weeks. We will be preparing for the next season. We'll be writing, but we will be off the air for two weeks before we come back on August 16th, which with an absolutely killer fall schedule that will take us all the way through the holidays. So if you're not signed up for our newsletter yet, make sure you head over to friendsandfiction.com to sign up so that you're looped in the second we announce our amazing fall lineup. And speaking of amazing lineups, it's not every year that all four of us have new novels being released. But this is one of those years. Christie's and Patty's have all just been released. And mine is coming in September. We've already been in Columbus, Charleston, and Huntsville together. And tomorrow, 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 only a day away. We'll be here in Tampa, where I am right now, at one of our favorite indies, the Oxford Exchange. Um, to celebrate the summer songbirds. So if you're within driving distance of Tampa Bay, we hope you'll join us. You can find tickets at OxfordExchange.com. But there's more. (laughs) More, you say? Yes, there is more. On August 1st, we'll be in Atlantic Beach, North Carolina for a breast cancer fundraiser. And those tickets are available now. And last but 
hopefully not least, <laughs> we're going to be headed up north on October 4th to celebrate the launch of my 2023 look, 2023 book, Bright Lights, Big Christmas. And I just happen to have a copy oh, right here. Yay. Look at that. Oh, so good. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> so stay tuned for more deets on this uh, event. Fantastic. So we also love reminding you about our Friday podcast because it is so incredible. And we've had some of the most fascinating guests recently. So we always post a link to the newest episode on Facebook and Instagram, or better yet, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and you will be notified each time a new episode drops. On the most recent episode, uh, out now, MKA and Ron talked to Christopher Swan about his new novel, Never Back Down. And we love Chris Swan. He's been a guest on this show before. He's such a great guy. I cannot wait to listen to this episode. And coming this Friday, Ron and Patty talked to A.D. Ryan about Horses of Fire. So listen, review, subscribe, and share with a friend if you like what you hear. And all right, now it is time for our next guests, Lisa Steinke and Liz Fenton. Liz, Liz and Lisa have been best friends for over 30 years, and they survived high school and college together. They've co-authored seven novels, including the Amazon Charts bestseller, The Good Widow. In addition to writing books, they created a podcast. I know we know something about that. <laughs> yeah. but they got together their friendship and formed a podcast. And I love this title. We fight so you don't have to. Lessons from a 30-year friendship. They also appear monthly on a San Diego news station to share their favorite book club picks. They both reside in San Diego with their families and several rescue dogs. Their new novel, Forever Hold Your Peace, was just released on July 11th. Sean, can you bring Lisa and Liz on? Hi, y'all. Hi. Hi. Awesome. <laughs> oh, it is so lovely to see the two of you. We cannot wait to dive into talking about this book. So, the publisher describes Forever Hold Your Peace as father of the bride meets Bride Wars, which I love. It's such a great way to put it. So Lisa, can you start us off by telling us a bit more about the book and where the idea for it came from? Um, sure. Yeah. It. Um, well, we were wanting to write something new and we were on the phone with our agent and talking about just straightforward rom-coms. And she said, you know, I like all your ideas, but you guys are really, your like wheelhouse is writing about friendships. And so why don't you write a rom-com that's more about a friendship that broke up and came back together? And so that's sort of the genesis for Forever Hold Your Peace. Great. Can you can you give us kind of a little um, a little sales pitch about what the book is about? Can you kind of give us a little quick summary? Sure, of course. So it's about June and and um, her best friend in college, and they are absolutely as close as they can possibly be until something terrible happens and the friendship ends, and they never think they're going to see each other again until 20-something years later when their kids get engaged. So now they're thrust back in each other's lives and they have to navigate a wedding together, deal with things that went wrong in their past and see if they can come together for their kids. 
I love that. It is such a great premise for a book. And and I loved it. The way you executed the story was just fantastic. Thank you. Now, no, it was so great. So um, so Liz, one of the, our favorite questions to ask on here after we talk about what the book's about is what is the book really about? So I want to ask you that. What's the book about at its core? And also, why do you think that novels about messy, complicated families um, continue to be so appealing to people? Families and friendships, I guess. Right. Um, That's a great question. You know, the book is about a lot of things, but it's about this friendship and almost not uh, romantic romance, but this, you know, romance between these two friends. But it's also about the love between mothers and daughters and other, you know, and exes. And, you know, for me, and I've said this a lot, my daughter is going off to college in a couple of weeks. It's my uh, firstborn is going to Washington state. And, you know, yeah. And I have a lot of feelings. A lot of feelings. (laughs) Yeah. But as I was writing this, you know, June and Amy who, you know, there's multiple narratives in the book and it's multi-generational, but really the heart heartbeat of the book is this friendship of June and Amy. And they, are having a hard time like letting go. I think it's really hard as parents to let your kids make decisions that they might fail. I think, you know, as parents and maybe control freaks, which maybe Lisa and I are a little bit, like you want to be like, oh no, this will happen. But you, you know, June and Amy kind of have to let their kids do things that might fail and, and let them fail and figure that out. And I think it's one of the hardest things we do as a parent, at least for me personally. Um, and it's something that I'm going through and something Lisa's gone through. So that was, that's really what the book is about. And I've already forgotten the second part of the question. <laughs> no, that was, a, that was a great answer. See, that, that's my fault for asking you two questions in one. The second part of the question was, why do you think people are so drawn oh. to books about sort of big, messy, complicated friendships or families or interpersonal dynamics? What do you think it is that's yeah. so appealing about that type of book? I think a couple things. I think first, um, we we see a part of ourselves because I think yeah. even though our families are all great, I mean, you know, it's complicated. And, and even, you know, I think mother daughter relationships are, are complicated and in all family with, with exes. Um, and I think people enjoy, you know, feeling maybe like they're not alone. And then also we just love drama, like as a society, right? Yeah. Like we, we love yeah. some, some tea, you know, some excitement. Some tea. We do like some spilled tea. We do. Okay, now let's take a step back for a moment and let's talk a bit about the two of you. I know you're longtime best friends, but can you talk us through how you met and how and when you decided to begin writing novels together and how did you not kill each other? (laughs) Process? Three-part question. Um, Let's see if we can remember (laughs) these. Um, I'll start with how um, we met, which was in high school. Um, So only like 15 years ago, you know. Um, But yeah, yeah, we met in uh, English class. And, um, you know, I was the new kid at school. And Liz kind of took me into her group. And we slowly started to realize, you know, we have some commonalities outside of this group. We love to read, we love to write. And then we ended up going to college together. And it was really after graduating and going to our, you know, our other careers that, you know, the idea of writing together kind of came up for us again, because we'd talked about it in college, we'd been in a 
theater class together and we wrote this terrible one act play and we almost <laughs> killed each other. I mean, the word <laughs> processor, which is what we were writing on at the time, I think it might have ended up on the floor or close to teetering on the edge of the desk. And so we kind of put that aside and went on with our lives. And then, I don't know, I just got the bug. And um, I, I asked Liz if she wanted to try it many, many years later. And um, she was, you know, somewhat open to it, right, Liz? I mean, you were in a different stage of your life. And so you had just had a baby, I think, or you might've been pregnant and it was a lot to take on. But I think I just wrote a chapter. This is around the time I think Maybe we met you, Kristen. I feel like we were, that was the book yeah. that um, we were writing when we when we met you. Um, and so we just started and I don't know. We I don't know how we didn't kill each other, though. I mean, what are our tips and tricks on that? We never write in the same room, <laughs> even to this day. We yeah. definitely I mean, I was living in Chicago for 10 years of this partnership. And, you know, that was fine because <laughs> we were like in our separate spaces. And so. I think that's the key for us is we just need our separate time as well as our together writing time. Yeah. And I think, I, yeah. And if I get energetic, I think we've learned, I mean, listen, we have made so many mistakes. I think we've probably made every mistake as a, you know, taking your friendship and turning it into a business is, is not easy, especially something in something, a creative space where everything is subjective, right? And Lisa and I, although we have commonalities, the way we approach business and decision-making really different. Like, you know, Lisa likes to think about things. She's very detail oriented. And I'm just like, let's go. Yes. That sounds great. Like I let's go. Like, I don't even care. And she's like, so I think for several years, we really battled. And then I think we finally realized, because we almost got to a point we weren't going to be able to write anymore, where we're like, okay, we're really different, but how does that make us better? Okay, well, it makes me slow down and be like, okay, I know Lisa's going to want more information about this, so I need to get more information. And I think Lisa... I don't want to speak for you, but I'm going to speak for you. I think that <laughs> often yeah. do. So yeah. why do I different? <laughs> yes. But I think, I think you became more open to taking leaps of faith without having like every fact and like knowing exactly how it was going to turn out. So I think we're really trying in our partnership. And just today we were talking about something like working through and just if you like heard us talking about our business stuff, you, we sound like we're a married couple that's been in therapy. <laughs> I'm like, I hear what you're saying, Lisa. And I'd like to consider, like we use like therapy speak. Like I think I said to you today, like, I appreciate you saying that. And now what, what I want to add is. What I hear you saying. Yeah. Is. That's awesome. That's <laughs> where we are now. Well, you know, in Forever Hold Your Peace, you delve deep into the tangled lives of two ex-best friends who were as close as sisters, who were as close as sisters 25 years before. Now, you talked about this a little bit, but were there any, was there any point where the two of you said, no, we can't, we can't, mm -mm, we gotta, this is it, we're done. Yeah, I mean, we, um, we, one of our books, I think it was our fifth book, Girls' Night Out. Um, it was the second thriller that we had written, and we took on a lot. The book had, you know, three narratives, uh, three, or three timelines, and we really made a lot of mistakes when we were writing it. And long story short, when we got into the editing process, because the book was already sold, we had to rewrite it 
probably four uh-huh. times. Oh, wow. And yeah. And, and weirdly the book is about these best friends that um, are trapped. Like they go on a girl's trip to Tulum and then they just really start hating each other. And one of them disappears. And ironically, we were trying to fix the book. when We were in new Orleans um, at this, uh, the a writer event and the editor's note kept saying like, I just don't believe that these women are trapped on this trip together and hate each other so much. So we were in New Orleans hating each other, trapped <laughs> in New Orleans. No, so, were you really though? Like, yes, yes, really. And we like, we, I um, almost, I almost flew home a day early. So we went home and we didn't speak, but we re- had the book in a Google doc and we uh-huh. worked on that book for two weeks without speaking. And we, uh-huh. and we, I mean, except like, you know, Da, da, da. We weren't really talking. We oh sent the gosh. book back to the editor and she her note. Wow, I really feel like these women hate each other now. Like <laughs> you did an amazing job. My like, great. Well, our friendship might be over now, but I'm glad I'm glad the book's going to copy edits. Right? Just like, yeah. yeah. Right. You know. <laughs> we had to really reevaluate after that yeah. book and make a lot of changes. And, and Lisa, I'll let you speak to that. But. That's when therapy started, I would say. I mean, we did have that conversation, uh, Mary Kay, back to your question. Can we keep going? I mean, it just uh, and I don't think our friendship would have ended, but we definitely were talking about could, you know, the writing partnership keep going. And we weren't so sure. So that's when we had to, you know, start therapy and between ourselves and start trying to figure out, like, how do we do this? Things we probably should have talked about in the beginning, but we just jumped in like, oh, we're best friends and this will be fine. (laughs) And and we really it was until it wasn't. And maybe that's a lot like, you know, not having premarital counseling or not having, you know, you jump in and it's all fine until it's not. And so um, then we ironed out a lot of the kinks, I'd say. You know, we still have things come up, but we're so much better dealing with them now. Oh, I love yeah. this. Yeah. I love that you didn't let it blow up. It just makes me yeah. so happy. Yeah. 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 Well, we started a podcast about, we're like, wow, we have a ton of material here. Like, but, but I do really think, do. Yeah. I do think <laughs> there's a lot of value in, you know, people always ask, like, how do you do? Well, you always have to forgive. You have to forgive yourself, the other person. And you really got to like look and be like, what could we do better next time in this situation? You know, what can we be less reactive over text? Could we always have those conversations in person and really committing to making those changes have like really, really help us. That's awesome. So speaking of that podcast, one of the things I love about you too is how open and transparent you are even right now with us, but also about your publishing journey you have one of your podcasts is called uh, in the podcast is called We Fight So You Don't Have To. But one of them, um, beginning in March 22, you started. But you share the story of your own frustrations. And in a great episode called Coming Out of the Rejection Closet, Lisa, I want you to talk about finding yourself at that low point and what it was like. Like, did you have some kind of vulnerability hangover? Were you like, I didn't mean to share that? Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I think we, there were several months that went by, you know, we, it was 2020. It was a bad time for everyone, but in particular, we were having a really hard time because our book came out. It wasn't selling well. Um, We decided to part ways with our agent. We 
weren't with our publisher anymore. And we sort of felt like, is this it? You know, is this it? And not by our choice, but is, are we done? And so between ourselves, we were talking about it quite a bit. And I think we just got to the point where we had this podcast and we just said, let's just talk about this. I mean, it's a real problem for us. We're having a really hard time. Let's just talk about it. Not thinking that anybody else was going through it. I mean, we thought it was really just us. I mean, you're on social media and you're watching everything. Everything looks amazing. And, you know, we were just feeling like it's just got to be us. And then once we talked about it, the number of, you know, messages and texts and phone calls and emails we received from all different levels of authors, all different successes, it just blew us away. So we just kept going with it, you know, but we... We were just kind of so low. We just didn't really care if we put us any lower. We weren't weren't really worried what the publishing industry thought, you know, like, oh, well, I mean, if we never get a deal after this, well, we already don't have one. So, okay. You know, so we were, I just think that's, I know where you have to be. Yeah. In order order to just, you know, I don't know. That's just where we were, right, Liz? Well, and when you do that, you find other people, but you also talk in that same series about how you learn to be happy for others, even when yes, facing right. rejection yourself. And we find yeah. that really inspiring. So Liz, what lessons can you share with us tonight about being genuine cheerleaders, even when you're got singing the blues, baby, singing the blues, which we have right. all, by the way, yeah. done and probably will do again at different times. Right. I think the first thing is you have to understand that Every, every author of every level is experienced rejection at some point or another. And I think sometimes it's like, oh, that person's always got everything and they're doing all the things yeah. and I want the things and why don't I have the things? And all the things. All yeah. the things. And you're just like, oh, and you're screenshotting this and you're like, they get all the things. Why don't I get the things? <laughs> you know, like, but you have to take a step back and and understand that everyone has their time and and everyone's yeah. experienced rejection. Mm. And I think the people that are getting the things, for the most part, there are exceptions. They kept writing. They kept yeah. doing it. And I also think that success breeds more success. So like you, you ladies putting together, you know, friends in fiction and having so much success and all like that's good for all of us. Like yeah. you're, you're supporting people. We're getting supported. We're supporting you and more women authors or people are buying it and having, so like you have to take a step back and be like, if another, I mean, all authors, but let's admit women author are successful. Yeah. It's good for all of us. If more of their books are in development for TV or film, that's great. Like, so you have, and it's not always easy to do and you have to check yourself, but I think we're all better for it when we can truly be happy for others. Yep. As our MKA says, rising tides lift yeah. all boats. Yes, for sure. And let me say also, I love your freaking cover. I think that <gasps> thank you. is so great. Thank you. So do it we. It is such a great really cover. And, and a great thank title. You. It's a fantastic yeah. title too. I, thank I, you. I love it. I love it. Thank you. You know, um, I, I just wanted to tell people out there though, like the, the, your, your podcast is just it's great to listen to as a reader, but I mean, also just as a human being, because I mean, you guys really go deep oh, and you're you. not afraid to go to those places where you're talking about difficult things and you bring your guests to those places too, in, in a way that I think lets us all, uh, 
I don't know, share, share something different, explore something different. Like it goes beyond just books. And I, I think it's, uh, I think it's fantastic. You guys are doing such it's a great a job. And I know compliment. You, um, Oh my Thank gosh, you. you're doing Thank great. You. And I know um, you've had Steven on too. Tonight's other guest, Steven Rowley. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Rowley, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. We love him. We love him. Yeah. We love him too, obviously. We love him now too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Um, Elisa and Liz, before we let you go, where can our viewers find you on the road and, on, and online in the coming weeks? Uh, well, we'll be at Zibby's Bookshop in Santa Monica this Sunday. Uh, awesome. And we have an event. Uh, on Sunday, August 6th uh, with Adventures by the Book in Carl's by California. That's a ticketed event. You can find us at Instagram at Lisa and Liz and Facebook at Liz Fenton and Lisa Steinke. We're on threads at Lisa and Liz as well. Or our website, Liz Liz and Lisa.com. We have everything there, links to everything. That's awesome. Well, fantastic. All right. So to all of you out there, please make sure to check out Forever Hold Your Peace out now. And of course, Liz and Lisa's podcast, We Fight So You Don't Have To, available on all major podcast platforms. Thank you so much for being here tonight, Lisa and Liz. We loved having you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies. Good night, y'all. Good night. All right. What an evening. Congratulations again to our girl, Christy, on her amazing spot on the New York Times list. And to all of you out there, don't forget you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We will be back next week with our summer season finale featuring the legendary Ellen Hildebrand. We have such a fun episode in store for you, and we cannot wait. So thank you for being with us. We'll see you next week. Good night. Good night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.